You're listening. You're listening. You're listening. You're listening to Music Biz 101 and more. If you want to learn about the music industry and you don't know where to go, tune in to WP88.7. Should be good calling it Bravo Radio instead of Brave New Radio. Bravo Radio, yes, and yeah, Italians clapping. So it has a better ring, of course. Yes, yes, it does. So I am your professor, David Kurt Philp, along with your Doctor Esteban Marconi Emeritus. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. He's Emeritus, so which is actually Emeritus candy. Right, Emeritus, Emeritus sounds like that. So an Italian dessert. Yes, it does. Oh, we have our guest, Chris Baumann. Hey, Chris, Chris how are you? Hey, how are you? You're not only on hey. time, you're, you're early, Chris. Yeah. Oh, it's well, great. I, know, I, I figured I, I would run into some sort of technological difficulty, so I'm happy, you know, I was able to log in. I've had my, my computer explode once, you know, so many Zoom calls, et cetera, over the last couple of weeks. So this is a good thing. We're all here. All right. Check out my shirt. I, just, I got your stuff for you guys, so. <laughs> That's good. Yeah, I put on underpants today, so I think we're... Very good. Make sure you go to musicbiz101wp.com. Sign up for that newsletter so you know everybody who we're interviewing, and then you can always listen to these on the iTunes, on the SoundCloud. Follow us on the Instagram, the Twitter, the Facebook at musicbiz101wp. Dr. Esteban, should we give thanks? We should. Let us do this. Gracias to las personas at Van Dyne, Bruno, Inc. and White Hat Management. <laughs> With artists like Dave Matthews, Three Doors Down, St. Vincent, and Kiss, there's only one place for you to go for your band's business management. Go to VB CPA.com when you're ready. Let's give thanks to Christine. Oi. They, a wealth manager at the Forefront Group. Christine has helped many professionals all over the world manage their investments, plan out for their retirement when somebody like you is thinking of building a bridge yeah. to your financial future. You want to think about the Forefront Group, and then you want to go to christine.vey at forefront.com. Leave the last oil off for savings. As you always should. 
<laughs> All of our listeners should know the, the University of William Patterson, greatest university in the history of universities in Wayne, New Jersey, has been ranked one of the best, according to Billboard magazine, third year in a row, fourth time in six years. I don't know why we missed it. Those two other years must have been, um, we had gas or something those years. So, Yeah, what is four out of six, two thirds? So 666% of the time, we're getting that bat. So it's actually 66.6%. So anyway, um, so Marconi, we have a guest with we don't, with us. Yes, we do, all the way from Chicago, I take it? Chicago, that's right. Yes. Other greatest city in the world. <laughs> that's right. After Wayne, New Jersey, it's Chicago. So our, our guest is Chris Bauman, and he's built, consolidated, and now leads nine separate yet complementary entertainment companies and music venues as part of his Zenith Music Group. I used to have a Zenith black and white television as a little boy, so it's the exact same thing. Uh, companies, uh, Speakerbox presents, SPKR, BX presents, and Genesis presents. He's also got the Patio Theater, Avondale Music Hall, Plumtree National, Olympic Theater, Cordcraft Studios, and we also want to give thanks to Audrey Fix Schaefer, the communications director of the 930 Club and Lincoln Theater in Minneapolis, and also the National Independent Venue Association, NEVA, hashtag Save Our Stages. We have a bunch of stuff that we're going to talk about with Chris today, and I wanted to throw all those things out there so that our listeners can hit rewind and listen one more time. So Chris, can I wake up to you guys every morning? This is yes. awesome. He's always like this. I could take an applaud when I wake up. Just yeah. All right. Good morning, Dad. Good morning, Chris. That sounds yeah. wonderful. Yeah, he's Thank always you. like this. It's like working with Jim Carrey twenty four seven. You know, one of my favorite movies. This is a good segue. Have you guys seen? Uh, what's it? Is it Yes Man? Was that the name of the movie with Jim Carrey? Yeah. Uh, yes. Yes. It was a yes Man. Yes. You know, yeah. I I think every business school should show that movie to their students just because. There's so much truth in it, right? I mean, he's a total yeah. pessimist. He's depressed. He lives in his apartment. All he needs to do is get hypnotized to say yes, and his life changes, right? Like, he becomes a billionaire. He's dating supermodels. He's, like, partying on private jets. Like, his life just changes because he was hypnotized to just say yes. And I think, yeah. you know, one of the things that has kind of created Zenith and, in general, any opportunities that I've come across over the years is just saying yes. And then you just got to, you know, don't go too much into your yes, but say yes to things, you know, say yes to appointments, say yes to business opportunities, uh, say yes to philanthropy and, and things like that. So that's a great movie on the Jim Carrey front. You guys should definitely show that to all your students. And if I was a professor, which I'm hoping you'll ask me to help guest, for, you know, assistant professor with you guys at some point, um, <laughs> that would be on my, uh, my syllabus for sure. Great. You know, it's so, interesting. A real quick thing, just on the yes thing, because I have a neighbor and he had, he just retired, but his own independent marketing company based in New York City. And one thing he tried to do for a number of years was uh, a campaign to revitalize the Bronx in New York, uh, which, is ha which has a really bad reputation, had a really bad stretch, especially in the 80s and earlier 90s. But the campaign was called Yes, the Bronx. The idea being that the word, it was built around the word yes. And just saying it, you would like half smile as you say it, and it was to make it more positive. And they actually got somewhere with it. And I think whoever eventually was going to say yes to it said no. But um, 
a lot yeah. of stuff laid out was, was a really good idea. It was built around the positive identity of the word yes. So it kind of fits in with what you're saying. Yeah, no, it's incredible. I mean, there's a lot of power with that word. That's for sure. A lot yeah. of power with it. So it seems that uh, judging by having all your fingers in so many things, it was pretty hard for you not to say yes at various times. So what, um, I guess, what preceded this to you to get this uh, involved so much in entrepreneurship? Yeah, you know, well, first of all, I've never really been good having a boss. So I've always noticed that that's kind of a problem. You know, I, I did have bosses when I was younger and you know, I always felt sometimes I'd be smarter than them. And I always felt, you know, just kind of repressed and especially when it came to innovation. And so just naturally, I, I've always wanted to create things, right? And I, I always notice things that are wrong with a lot of businesses or just in general, our world. And I want to fix things, right? And the, sometimes the only way to do that is to build it yourself right? Uh, it's a whole kind of tear down and rebuild mentality. So, you know, sure. Zenith is really a, a function of also just time management. Um, you know, I had at one point a lot of different business interests and just different things going on, but I've always loved music. And I grew up in a music family. Uh, my grandfather was a great pianist. He was a very talented um, just composer. And he, you know, Billboard Magazine actually did, you mentioned Billboard earlier, Billboard Magazine did an article on my grandfather in 19... 69 on Christmas mm. calling him the quote-unquote music man. It was pretty cool. So, you know, I grew up in his studio. He had a studio in his very, he had a little studio in his basement of his house. And my mom was also a great pianist, very good musician, grew up in choirs and things like that. So music's always been very dear and near to my heart. Um, and, you know, what a better way to make money than do something that you love. And honestly, like, I, I do what I do because I love creating once-in-a-lifetime experiences for people, you know, there, there's nothing like going to a concert and seeing that musician at that moment in time in that venue, at that point in their career uh, around these people, right? You're sharing that experience with people. And that's what is so, you know, it's irreplaceable and unreplicatable that moment in time, right? You can try to go back to that venue at that, you know, with that same musician, but it's always changing as you're in a different space in your own life, right? So that's really the essence of, of Zenith Music Group. And what's happened is, um, you know, I started out as a promoter uh, 15 years ago, just started booking shows and helping my friends get more people to their shows. And I really liked it. I liked, you know, all the cash on the table at the end of the night. Like I, I liked the feeling of being intimate with the, you know, very actualized people, you know, musicians um, are very actualized people. They're very real people. And I love um, the people that I'm working with as well. So. So that was really the roots of Zenith. And then what happened was really time management. You know, instead of spending time doing this and that, the idea is that everything is symbiotic and everything can help make money for each other. And what happens now is that Zenith, all these companies have sprouted out because they're all helping each other make new companies. They're all helping each other have us be able to acquire new venues. They're all helping each other develop festivals. Um, it's it's incredible to see how that that ecosystem works. So that that's the essence of Zenith Music Group. So you were at the time you were a promoter. That's right. Yeah. No, I'm I'm a legacy promoter. I've done shows all over the U.S. and Canada, and you name it, and tours, and and you you know I've done it all. So now what what I found in Chicago especially is a very competitive music market. So uh, for a very long time it was very hard to even be able to rent a venue for a certain, you know, to, to be able to do shows in Chicago. Um, 
And so as a necessity, we, we started acquiring the venues as opportunities came up and, and they're very slim, but you know, kind of all at once, I, I, I basically acquired a portfolio of venues, four of them in one, one foul swoop, um, which was, you know, it, it took me 10 years to get one. And then, you know, all at once I got four. So that, you know, that's been a, an interesting uh, experience. I, I real estate, you know, I will tell you dealing with real estate developers and real estate in general, it is such a different business than the music business. And, you know, it's something even right now that I'm, especially in this, in this climate, just constantly trying to figure out ways to innovate and restructure things. And that's important as well. Like, cause you know, I, I'll be on the phone with an agent and then I'll have someone else calling me because their toilet's clogged. Right. Cause you know, you own this big building, you have, you know, shows going on. So there, there's just a constant remodeling and, and getting things done, but you really need to own the real estate in my opinion. Um, or at least have you know exclusive access to real estate to really be successful um, long term in this business. Uh, that's kind of what I've found. So, do you that? Did you have uh, venture capitalists or? No, you know I built. I own 100% of all the businesses uh, right now. Um, not we're partners, for instance, in Speakerbox, which then uh, is partners with Lyrical Lemonade to form our Summer Smash Festival. Um, in the real estate, I brought in partners on half of the real estate, which has been nice because they're, they're guys who are great guys and they know real estate and they, that's been very helpful on the real estate side. Mm -hmm. But no one, you know, the, the, I would take venture capital. So if any venture capitalists are, you know, listening, give me a call. I, you know, I've had, I've had plenty of offers for that, but you know, I'll tell you what, in order to really get things done, I found I needed to own a home percent of my businesses because you know I I've had in the past I did have different partnerships and they would just slow me down uh, you know they I guess I'm too crazy to actually want to do this so yeah well somebody has to be certainly uh, to understand the music business to be able to even uh, figure out how you make money in it because people think that people think every show makes money when they're and then they start complaining because of the rise in ticket prices well, we all know that the overhead is uh, is astronomical that's exactly right Stephen. I, I think you know it's a great barrier to entry to our business because it you know there isn't you know a playbook on how to do our business it's extremely complicated and you know i think any you know anything can go wrong at any time right and so there's so many different variables that you have to control um and i've kind of found that you know, if you, you become good at multitasking, right? And if you can multitask and you can juggle different things, um, you can be very successful in our business, but it's, uh, you gotta, you gotta learn it by baptism, by fire a lot of times, or you have to shadow people. You know, I, I'm a big believer in apprenticeship. You know, you have to mm -hmm. shadow people. You want to learn how to do something. You got to watch someone do it. You know, did you have a mentor? I, I've had many, many great mentors over my career and I've watched um, some really great business owners in Chicago, for instance, build their own independent venues. And, you know, I grew up going to their venues and it's actually pretty incredible through Civil, which is the Chicago Independent Venue League in, that we formed in Chicago. That's 34 independent venues in Chicago. And that inspired and really gave birth to uh, NEVA, which is the National Independent Venue Association, uh, which now we have, it's, it's incredible. Over the last six weeks, we've gotten 1800 independent venues across the US to finally all come together in a joint effort to go lobby Congress 
to get a carve out, just like the airlines, just like everything else. You know, we were first to get shut down. We're going to be last to get open back up. Um, and we all, we've all come together and it's, it's actually been incredible. But uh, on the civil side, you know, I'm, I'm daily now talking to some of the most influential uh, people I, I grew up, um, you know, going to their venues. And it, it's been incredible. You know, Joe Shanahan with Metro in Chicago was somebody I, I, you know, looked up to for years. And now, you know, we're daily talking and daily coming up with strategies. And um, same with, you know, uh, Gomez, who owns Sub Subterranean in Chicago. It's an iconic venue. Same thing. And I grew up going to see my buddies playing bands, you know, at his venue. So I've had a lot of really great examples um, coming up in this industry to, to kind of watch what they've done. Now, what's your uh, background? Where'd you go to college and so on? So I went to Valparaiso University in Indiana. Um, I was there and then I actually got my MBA from there as well. Um, I played football there for a few years. It was a, it was a good, uh, it was a good run. Yeah, no, I, I really enjoyed Valparaiso and I really enjoyed Indiana. You know, I learned a lot about myself. Um, it, it wasn't too much of a party school. I mean, we, we definitely, you know, had a lot of fun, but it wasn't like, um, I actually had time to learn there, which I loved. And so I had a great, great college experience. I met my wife, you know, down in Valparaiso. We've got three beautiful children and a puppy now and, you know, we're, we're doing it. We're doing the whole thing, you know? Yeah. And thank God, thank God she, you know, I, I was a promoter when we were dating because, man, she's, uh, she, she, she knows like late nights settling out artists. And, and I think one picture, I remember one picture, I was hanging out with CeeLo and Bone Thugs and Harmony one night and, and somehow I got on Instagram. It's so funny, you know, the next morning, my wife was like, were you hanging out with CeeLo last night? Yeah. You know? <laughs> it was pretty funny. So, yeah. um, okay. So what's happening now with COVID-19? Uh, can I swear on this? Sure. Uh, it's no, you know, it is, it is, it's a mess. I mean, it is such a mess. And thank God uh, for Neva and us coming together because, you know, some, some venues in, you know, Montana, for instance, are, are they're basically ready to, they can open, they can, you know, yeah. be a full capacity, but here's the problem. Artists tour, you know, like, so just because Montana's open and Nebraska's not and Indiana's open, but you know, Illinois is not. Oh, I, you know, it, 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 our business is already so complex that COVID is, is really just um, totally turned it upside down. And it's really interesting because, you know, as I mentioned, we're lobbying Congress for some sort of um, stimulus relief. We, we've never asked anyone for anything. You know, like we never asked the government for anything. We didn't shut ourselves down. You know, the government shut us down. And that's okay because we do care about the health of our societies, we care our communities. But uh, you know, we've never asked for anything in our entire careers or as an industry. And it, you know, again, we're in Illinois right now, we're phase five. That's if there's basically, we cannot open at our hundred percent capacity unless there's a vaccine or a treatment that's readily available. Well, yeah. you know, who knows when that's going to happen. Right? right. So it's a very, very complicated picture with COVID. That's for sure. Well, we're in, uh, I know Chicago is somewhat of an epicenter. And we're in the heart of the epicenter because we're in New Jersey. And we're right. from New York City. So uh, we often talk, Dave and I, about uh, what it's like here. And I'm sure what it's like in Chicago versus what it's like in Wyoming. And Wyoming basically with, I think Wyoming had, I know it was under a thousand cases in the whole state of Wyoming. So they really should be at, at a different point than we are. There's no reason for them to be as 
as tightly, uh, you know, uh, closed up as we are. And it's hard, I think, for us some, sometimes to realize that, that the majority of the country, and some of them are being idiots, of course, but the majority of the, com of the country um, should be a different phase than we are at. You know, it's really interesting. I, you know, I flew out um, on 9-11. I flew out a year later to you guys, right, when I think Colin Powell was reading all the names of people uh, at the site, at, you know, Ground Zero. And, you know, I'll never forget, like, flying out there. And it was, it was I was in college, uh, and uh, Spirit Airlines was giving out free flights. So, you know, and all the flights were booked in full, going everywhere else in the country except to New York. So I, I literally drove to Detroit. I'm like, I'll fly to New York. I'm going to go out there. And I went out there. And I, I'll never forget the feeling, you know, of compared to even how it felt in Chicago, 9-11 felt, compared to how it felt when I was on those buses and on the, you know, the trains in New York, it was totally different. When you're in the epicenter or something, it is totally different. It's a different feeling. It's a different way of doing things. And, you know, that's, you know, COVID's, COVID's a very unique challenge because here's the thing. It's like you, you yourself can choose to go surfing in shark infested waters. Let's just say you want to go surfing. You can choose your own risk capacity. I'm going to go surfing. I know there's sharks out there. I'm going to take the risk. I'm going to go do that. COVID's interesting because if you choose, for instance, to go to a concert around 1,000 people and someone is asymptomatic, and let's just use for the analogy, like patio theater, which I own, uh, is 1,500 caps. So let's say that, you know, just 1,000 for rough numbers, you know, and let's just say all 1,000 people get infected right? You know, maybe those thousand people will be okay. But the problem is with COVID, you're making a choice on your own risk capacity. But the problem is, then you go interact with other people who have been making their own choices with risk capacity. And there's really nowhere way to trace exactly, right? And so therefore, of those thousand people right now, statistically, uh, 50 people would die, uh, theoretically, in that concert, if people were sick, 5%. Would would die right? So it's it's um it's it's really very challenging. And I think you know one of the things that again on the Neva front that we've been doing is just really trying to figure out like how do we how do we reopen in a way that is going to to be as safe as possible and give confidence to people again to go out to shows. Um, you know we're doing studies where you know they're saying that even if we are able to open at 100% capacity. You know, uh, studies are showing that 40% of the population want to wait a year to go out again. Like, they're just, they're scared, right? Like, people don't know. And, you know, the government, uh, unfortunately, has not helped the, uh, the storyline because one day wear a mask. Next day, don't wear a mask. Next day, do this. Next day, do that. Like, people are confused. And that's going to affect, I think, the resurgence of our economy a lot because of the lack of knowledge and confusion and, and different storylines. And um, I think it's going to especially affect our industry. I, you know, I, we're in this, this is going to be a multi-year for sure period of ramping back up uh, the music, uh, live music business. Absolutely. It's going to, it's going to take time to ramp back up to hundred percent capacity. It's going to take years really, I think, to instill confidence again and to watch, is there a second wave? Is there not a second wave? Like it, it is, we're in a very unique time. That's for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And the, um, not only the artists themselves, but the back line and the crew and, people that work in venues and, uh, you know, it's not like um, we, we try to sterilize ourselves somewhat 
after we come back from a grocery store or something. And we and it's not like being in an operating room. Once you leave the operating room, you don't have to be sterile. It, it, this like sort of continues. I touch the doorknob. Oh, I just touch, you know, and you don't realize it. And it's it's just it's so encompassing that I think to get that uh, morale back and also that confidence back in anything that's a luxury item is going to take some doing. And of course, a vaccine would solve the problem the vaccine truly will solve the problem and, and at least the different venues across the u.s are taking different um te- you know strategies depending on what yeah. state they're in you know is it an epicenter is it not an epicenter um you know financial you know different things like everyone has in our our business different financial things you know taxes in chicago are a lot more than they are in wyoming for instance you know there's insurance in chicago is more you know yeah. than other places in the in the country and so there, there's just a lot of moving parts. And I think, you know, I think it's my opinion is that it is going to take a vaccine to truly get the business back to where it was. It's going to take a vaccine in order for the same people who were going out before, whether no matter the age, no matter, um, you know, denomination, no matter whatever, the exact same groups that were going to concerts before, uh, it's going to take a vaccine to truly be able to, um, instill that confidence at least that's my opinion again and we can do it the best we can until then and we've gotten creative i mean it's amazing to see the live streaming it's amazing to see you know the drive-in concerts you know plum tree which is 275 acres i own up in um northern illinois you know i i we're trying to figure out like can you do a drive-in concert well what are the safety issues with that right like people are drinking are they drinking are they not drinking are they driving like how how's it going to work um but there's real opportunity to innovate, which I, that excites me as you, as you guys know, you know, I like, I like innovating. Right. Let me, let me go back to the complexity of this, which you alluded to a few minutes ago, because if we just kind of trace this out, so you're a venue owner and a promoter. So as the venue owner, you need people in your venue to not only buy tickets, but really you're making money from whether it's beer, alcohol, maybe some of the merch, uh, food, that kind of thing. Um, the agent needs to book the show, so the agent needs to get 10% of the tickets that are sold. If you're not selling out, if you're not hitting the uh, gross capacity, basically, so if you're only able to sell 30% of your venue, the agent's making 10% of 30 versus 10% of 100, which is a lot less. Then you also talked about the artist needs to tour, and what I think people need to understand is if an artist is going to tour and tour profitably, they can't go to Wyoming and then maybe Florida and then maybe Maine and then maybe New Mexico. It has to be methodical how they go or else there'll be too much time in between shows or they have to fly everywhere. And it's just not going to make enough revenue for them to make sense to actually go out and tour anywhere. So all of these different parts are connected and um, it all comes down to, they need a place to play, and that's where you come in. You are the venue. I I got a hold of some uh, of the capacity. I want I want to read this to you, and then you can comment on it. Of a uh, of a venue near us that has a seating of a little over nine hundred people, and their orchestra seats. If we did uh, social distancing, the number of orchestra seats go from three hundred seventy to eighty seven. Loge seats go from 542 to 161. So in overall, in this venue, you go from 912 
possible seats to 248. So you're losing 664 seats. And if you have a, uh, an average sell of $20 per ticket, the gross potential loss for that show is a little over $13,000 selling at the new venue, you know, sellout versus the old. So it's 13,000 per show, multiply that by however many nights a year. That's, a, that's just ticket revenue, but that shows you how, what risk you are already at. And it goes to, you've never asked for anything, any bailout money from the government, and you guys are real, uh, a real backbone of the music industry. And the live is so big for artists more than recorded music. You're that important and people need to listen to your plight and where you guys are. Yeah, Dave, I, I think from a numbers standpoint, you're, you're hitting it on the head. It's like the, the time and energy to just even think about how to get this going again at 20% capacity and then find a band, you know, everyone's taking a, a pay cut and they're, you know, we as venue owners, we do this because we love music. You know, we love incubating music. That's what independent music venues are. We, we are music incubators. We're the first ones that the internationally recognized talent, we're the first stages they perform on. We give them their shot, right? And what's, what's at risk right now is that if there is not stimulus, you know, we only have so much money in our accounts to pay bills to be able to open our doors in six months or a year. We only have so much money. We still have to pay real estate taxes. We still have to pay insurances. We still have to pay for our license. We have a ton of things that we got to pay for. Um, revenue, no matter what, to your point, and the entire ecosystem, all the way to the musician, is going to go down significantly, right? It's gonna. It's a function of capacity. How many tickets can you sell? And you could try to sell, I guess, $5,000 tickets, but guess what? Everyone's hurting, right? So like, everyone's hurting right now. You know, everyone's has income issues. Everyone's lost jobs. They've been at home. So getting back to the ecosystem, you know, it really starts with the independent venue. We're the ones who pay the production people. We're the ones who pay the musicians, right? We're the ones who are promoting uh, the shows to be able to sell those tickets. And without us, it all stops, right? I mean, there's no production people getting paid. The musicians aren't getting paid. The agents aren't getting paid, you know, and, and those guys, I'll tell you what, like agents, and I've got great friends who are agents. Those guys are so innovative. I mean, the emails that we're getting now, like on these trying to figure some way out to drive any sort of revenue, it's incredible, right? So, you know, everyone's innovating, but the, the ecosystem of live music, and Dave, I mentioned this to you when we talked um, previously, like, you know, it, it's like, it's a lot like each city has its own flavor, right? And that flavor and that music that comes out of that city is a function of people's experiences in that culture in that dynamic, in New York, in Chicago, in Georgia, you know, in Atlanta, in LA. Like, that's what the music comes out of. It comes, the best albums I love come out of big basements, you know, like Y Clef, when he made, you know, him and the Fugees made their album, like, it came out of the, the basement of their uncle's house, you know, and that, that it, it blew up, you know. I think what we're risking by not, you know, uh, by the government not helping us reopen or not giving us funds to be able to reopen is that really there's going to be a total water down of one of the greatest things that the rest of the world looks at America for is our music. You know, they might hate us for a lot of the other things that we do across the world. But one thing they love us for is our music. That is a thousand percent. You go anywhere in the world, you go to Tokyo or you go to Sydney, Australia, they're bumping American music, right? And that music has been incubated 
in independent venues. And there, there's a real risk that, you know, up to honestly up to 90% and it's constantly fluctuating, but up to 90% of independent venues could be out of business in six months, like done, unable to open back up, you know, and it's, that's the reality of it. And it's, um, it's something that is serious and that, and that picture is always changing depending on PPP or disaster loans or the government is trying to uh, place band-aids on things and it's been extremely helpful. Um, and it's, that changes our survival rate, but there hasn't been, hey guys, here you go. Make sure you open your doors again because, you know, uh, a lot like, you know, I was saying each city has this different flavors. You know, it's like, it's like wine, you know, you want to drink, uh, you know, you want you want an Italian wine, but now because there's no independent music venues, now you got to drink, you know, Spanish wine all the time, right? Because no one's cultivating Italian wine anymore. You know, no one's cultivating Australian wine. Um, I think music's very similar. Well, um, interesting because many universities, Notre Dame included, are deciding to open. And they're deciding to open with this idea that people are going to come back and that the students are gonna come from all over the world to go back to Notre Dame, obviously, to Fort Bend. And uh, we're going to open up and then we're gonna have really stringent um, quarantine efforts and, and uh, testing and retesting and triple testing and so on. And we're gonna stay open until uh, Thanksgiving and then they're going to go home and the rest will be online because we don't want them back after they've gone home. Uh, and there's, of course, a lot of problems with that. Uh, but in reality, what they're saying is we may have to sacrifice a few to get this economy and to get our university uh, rowing again. And they're talking about football and, you know, football without students in the stands is fine they'll get their revenue from tv uh but you've got 64 on the football team plus all the coaches and so on you're well over 100 people that have to constantly be tested i guess if you're going to be vigilant is there any talk with the, your organization about you know doing something like that where we realize that some people are going to be jeopardized yeah no um Stephen, there's been a lot of talk and it's, it's very interesting because as we come up with ideas, like, okay, we're, we're going to temperature check everyone. Well, guess what? Now there's asymptomatic people. You don't, you know, you can temperature check everybody. You can have thermal cameras as everyone's coming in. You know, that's part of trying to figure out how are we going to do this? You know, thermal cameras. Okay. You got a fever, you know, step aside before you even come into the building. Then, you know, you, there's some sort of, we've been talking about contact tracing, right? Like where right. even, you know, just brainstorming, you know, like, China is forcing all their uh, people to be contact traced with an app. So the app will tell you if you're green, yellow, or red, right? And it basically follows your phone around to see if you've been to an epicenter. If you've been to an epicenter, therefore you're red. You need to go get immediately tested. If you test positive, you're immediately quarantined, right? Like that, those type of things, you know, for live music, for instance, is very interesting. When, when you have a show at your venue, it's almost like your little country, right? You've got your security, you can let people in, you can let people out. You got, it's almost like your little country and there's terms on the tickets that say we can deny your entry for any, any reason. And so uh, we've been working with insurance providers. We've been working across the board to try to figure out like, you know, li just liability alone. Like, you know, if someone gets sick at a venue, 
and we, you know, they're at our venue. It's like someone getting hurt at a venue or us. Uh, whereas in the past, we used to, for certain shows, you know, you go through metal detectors or you go through pat downs just for the security of, of the, the entire uh, venue. Now it's, it's going to, the real gun is going to be someone who's sick. Right? That's the real gun in the room now, you know? And so it, it's going to be interesting how that's addressed. And I, I think it kind of brings it full circle to like, you know, I don't know if our world is going to be the same without a vaccine, you know, and I don't know if it's going to be the same. I don't know if shows or football or uh, universities are, are going to be the same. I, you know, I think, um, I think eventually, based on my research, uh, there is this, this concept of herd immunity, right? And, um, you know, it's about then everyone's, I guess, knowing if, if their grandparents are susceptible or, you know, the problem is it's like, 30-somethings are dying of this too in New York. You know, at least I read about it, right? There, there's young, fit people who are dying of this. There, there's kids who are dying of this, you know? So I, I really don't have the answers. I wish I wish I had a better answer, but I, I can tell you that Neva, we have a reopening committee and they've been working extremely hard to try to figure out like just different mechanisms that we can have in place so that we can do shows again. And it's the same with Chicago. There's probably two or three um, reopening committees that I'm on in Chicago and then also the state of Illinois, right? Uh, same thing. So, you know, I, I think what's going to end up happening, and this is just, again, my opinion, you know, that everything is going to be gradually reopening and people are going to be functioning in a reduced capacity so that they can look at, you know, how, how many people are really getting sick. Because um, as herd immunity increases, right, the idea is less people will get as sick and therefore less people will need hospitalization. And that's really the, the issue is medical uh, access and medical, like, I guess, resources in particular areas of the country. Yeah. yeah. You brought up insurance because you guys were already facing higher fees just because of whether it was the Route 91 Festival in 2017 in Nevada or Eagles of Death Metal or, or Ariana Grande. There were already things happening. Or I forget the, the girl's name from The Voice, who was doing a VIP thing um, a few years ago and uh, before a show and some fan walked up and just shot her and killed her. So um, I think insurance may have been going up for you already or costs too. We had, we had um, the general manager of here in New Jersey, the PNC Art Center in recently, uh, Toya Patterson, and she was talking about all the things for an outdoor uh, venue, what she had to do and walk around with state police and just look and see where would somebody with a gun go? Where would somebody, if they wanted to blow it up, what would they do? How would they get in? So there are those thoughts that were already there. Now we add the silent, invisible illness that could be there. So the concern is lawsuits and insurance. And we had an attorney on recently who said, um, you're gonna get sued. Somebody is going to get sick. They're going to sue everybody about it, you know? So that in mind, and you are on the insurance committee, the insurance task force at NEVA. So what are the issues that you're looking at and what have you seen and who, whom have you talked to about this? Yeah, no, great, great question. So um, from an insurance standpoint right now, uh, it, it's really, we're trying to figure out what are gonna be A, the terms associated when someone starts going back to shows again, right? So when you buy your ticket, there are terms on that ticket, right? Well, now the terms are, you know, obviously you're entering the venue at your own risk, right? You're entering at your own risk. You understand that, you know, there's a pandemic going on. You understand all these things. 
that just right off the bat, that's going to have to be part of different ticket terms. When it comes to us having insurance, uh, that's a whole big issue right now because, um, you know, all, all of us for the most part had business interruption insurance. Um, all of us have different contracts regarding that. Some people's insurance policies specifically say this, you know, it doesn't count if you have a pandemic, it doesn't count if it's a virus, like other people, they don't say that. So what's going to end up happening and, and we're already starting to see this, there's going to be, uh, there's going to be a tug of war with the insurance agencies in time, right? Restaurants, music venues, everyone has been interrupted. All of us had, were forced to buy insurance. You know, we paid, some of us have paid hundreds of thousands of dollars a year in insurance, right? Um, and now we're out of business and some, some municipalities and people are still making you keep insurance, right? You know, you have to do that to keep licenses and things like that. So uh, what I think the future of insurance is going to look like is, you know, the insurance agency, first of all, there's going to be some sort of resolution between music venues and restaurants and anybody who had business interruption insurance and some sort of a settlement at some point, you know, and whether that goes to the Supreme Court or not, you know, the insurance agencies are, are saying that, oh, you're going to bankrupt us and, you know, this and that, which, you know, this is simply just not the case. They have $800 billion in reserves. They're required to, right? That's the whole point. They're, they have a lot of reserves. And, you know, I guess my opinion would be like just, even if they just refunded me my premiums the last year or two years, that'd be great, right? You don't need to, you don't need to refund the millions of dollars of revenue I'm losing, but you know, you want to just give me my premiums back. That'd be great. Right. So I think there's going to be innovative solutions that are going to have to come out um, in ensuring moving forward. Like the insurance companies are actually going to tell us, this is what your venue needs to do. Just like they do now, you need fire extinguisher in insurance. You need fire extinguishers. Well, they're going to tell us, this is what you need in order to have a sanitary venue. Right. And so they're going to have their own uh, restrictions aside from governmental uh, social distancing or, or sanitation things. So um, one of the things that that's one of the things we're looking at and, and one of the things too, we're looking at as Neva as a trade organization, this is the first time in our industry that we have this ability. You know, a lot of us um, live music venue owners, you know, we're all, we've all been siloed for years, right? We've never, there's never been an organization like Neva where we've all come together. Um, the only unifying factor in our industry for years was either, Live Nation bought you or AEG bought you. That's the only unification, right? You get bought by one of these companies and now you're unified with all these other people, but you're in this big corporate umbrella, right? Well, now with Neva and 1800 venues, we are starting to talk with insurance providers about group healthcare, right? Because we have a big trade organization. We've got thousands and thousands and thousands of employees. A lot of them don't have healthcare or they're on different, different healthcare plans. Like it's all over the place. You know, my, my own story with healthcare, like, you know, same thing, like as an entrepreneur, it has been all over the place. You know, at one point, I remember my wife and I, we were, we were trying to get pregnant with our second child and we got a letter from our insurance provider saying, you cannot get pregnant because it's a pre-existing condition. You have to pay this premium for a year and then you can get pregnant. I like, I should have framed the thing because it is just so bonkers. It is, it's insanity, right? And so one of the beauties of Neva is, is going to be our ability as a group to really vet out and, and get the best rates for the best, um, for, you know, providing, right, the best uh, benefits, uh, whether it's health insurance or general liability. And as a group, we're going to be talking with the insurance providers to figure out, okay, like, what is a policy that really protects us?
you know, what's a policy that protects us and allows us to freely do our business? I don't know if that answered your question, Dave, but yeah, that's, that's what we're working on now. No, it's interesting because when you think about, and I hadn't thought about this the way I am now, about how you guys are getting squeezed, squeezed from different positions because you're getting squeezed just from the general market conditions and you won't be able to sell as many tickets for the foreseeable future. You're going to get squeezed by the insurance companies. You're going to uh, not just uh, health, there's health insurance and there's the insurance of just trying to operate a venue. So um, your margins are just, you know, shrinking, shrinking, shrinking. Uh, Next question then. Um, And one comment, by the way, just for our listeners, I wanted to be clear to them that we're talking about independent venues. You brought up AEG and Live Nation. Everything we're talking about here has nothing to do with Live Nation and AEG. Those are the big boys on the block. They are their own story. Here we're talking about you own your own venues. You own these four venues in the Chicago area. That said, in effect, you're a small business owner. So if I wanted to be uh, critical of you and Neva and all these small business owners, I would say, well, you had, everybody had the same access to PPP, which was the Paycheck Protection Program. You all could have just applied for that and gotten money from that. Why do you need this whole trade organization to ask for even more when you had access? What, how are you separate from the bagel store or the um, mechanic down the block? Yeah, no, great, great questions and comments. And I'll, I'll tell you, PPP, number one, um, only was two and a half months of basically like what your payroll was. Well, live music venues, we don't have a lot of people on payroll. We've got a ton of 1099 people or we, we hire outside companies for things, but they don't, you know, they have their own things going on. I mean, PPP is a 2.5 X of your, your basically your, your payroll every single month, people who are getting paid. By just the nature of our business, we hire a lot of outside companies. We hire a lot of different things. So we don't have access. Our PPP numbers were not big loans at all, right? We could just put the people we knew and they're only 2.5 months. Well, here's the problem, right? In 2.5 months, we're still going to be closed, right? And that's actually June 1st is when PPP is done. And I'm looking back at the last two months and I'm looking forward at the next six months to a year. And I've had employees move out of state they moved back to Michigan. They moved back to Ohio. They moved back home. I've had, you know, I don't have any work for them right now, so I could continue to finance them. But if one little thing goes wrong on some calculation or I paid an insurance bill that I wasn't supposed to ca- calculate, right now the PPP, the way it stands, is 75, needs to go to payroll. 25 can be used for your mortgage or your rent or insurance mm-hmm. and u- utilities. Well, it, the numbers just don't work. It don't work. So what is happening is now, now any PPP that we took, is turning into a loan, yeah. right? So now we're going into more debt. Right. <laughs> like now we're going into more debt to just survive or a lot of us, you know, like my company, especially too, like I've been helping my employees, but when PPP ends, it takes two months to get unemployment in Illinois. So I'm not going to have any more cash. They're not going to give me any more cash. Then my employees aren't going to have any income, right? Because of that. So, I mean, it's a very convoluted thing. I mean, in, in fact, it's, it doesn't, it really doesn't make any sense for our industry. And that's why it needs to be readjusted. And that's why it needs to be extended. And specifically, that's why there can't be any restrictions on how we use the money. I mean, that's it. I mean, we got to pay a lot of different bills, a lot of different insurers, a lot of different licensing fees, a lot of different things. And we don't have our workforce is changing, you know, and the idea right now is we just want to be able to open our doors again. That's it. You know, what's your unique circumstance? There's a couple bills 
um, in Congress right now, and I'm, I'm forgetting the, the one, but we're, we're going to get behind it, where it's creative. It, it's, you know, basically, you get forgiven the amount of revenue you lost, right? Mm -hmm. Well, that would help, right? So if we lost 100% of our revenue, that means that any money we were given will get forgiven 100%, right? Or 50% or 25%. And compared to the bagel shop, which you mentioned, the bagel shop can still make money right now, right? I mean, granted, they got to be savvy and they got to get their bagels out one way or the other or, or do, um, you know, different grub hubs or things like that. We, the, the venues that don't have a kitchen or never had a food component, we really, there's no way to do it. And, and quite frankly, even if we were doing it, it'd be a loss leader. We lose money. You know, I, I have a little piano bar in Illinois and it's, it's downtown in my suburb of Chicago. It's called Shirley's Piano Bar. I named it after my grandma, right? And it, my grandma was a, my grandpa was a great musician, as I told you guys. Uh, you know, I, I always tell people I replicate Shirley's Piano Bar as like it was when I was growing up in my grandparents' living My grandpa would be on the piano. My their neighbors would be over, friends would be over, everyone would be singing. It's just like that. It's amazing. It's an incredible place. When COVID broke out, so my expenses at Shirley's are piano players and staffing and insurance and rent and utilities. When COVID broke out, you know, and our, our governor, who I think has done a good job, like really keeping on, on wraps in Illinois, which could have been a lot worse, right, so far, as you guys have experienced in New York, right? Um, when the governor told everyone to please stay home, that this is coming, please social distance, just stay home, we're trying to figure this out. Uh, on a Friday night, when I normally would have 100 people at Shirley's, I had five sitting at the bar, and I was open. Well, I'm still paying the pianist. I'm still paying people to be there. I'm still staffed appropriately. I was losing money. I was bleeding money, being open, right, in this environment. And so there's a business decision uh, that each venue is going to have to make as to their own financials and, like, can they be open even in a reduced revenue environment with increased expenses from insurance, increased expenses from different things. Um, I don't know if that answered your question, but it's a different, it's a very different uh, industry, that's for sure. Well, we got a tweet. Uh, somebody, uh, uh, Teresa has a question for you. And um, this is kind of interesting and I think it, it ties in. Yeah, obviously you mentioned you'll be one of the last places to open and you were the first to close. Disney World is reopening in July as we do this interview, by the way, uh, on May 29th or something. Disney's supposed to uh, open in mid-July with certain social distancing practices. Does that do anything to change the perspective of venues like yours, which are not open air venues, but are, you know, they have ceilings and walls and people have to go in through one or two different entrances? Yeah, there, there's a big difference between open air and then inside venues. And that's, that's what we're seeing. We're, we're seeing these in these studies, you know, um, for instance, in an outdoor venue, yes, there is, uh, there's obviously more air circulating. There's more things going on. I believe, cause I, I did read a little bit about Disney. I think, do, does everyone need to wear masks at Disney world? Are there certain restrictions? I, I haven't done yeah. too much research. Yeah, yeah. That, so, you know, the, there's studies that show, I don't know if you guys have seen this black light test that they did where one guy went to a bar and literally they, he had something on his hands, like a yeah. normal touching glasses, touching this a waiter, taking his glass. I mean, I think the infected, they, they found out the guy infected like 30 people or something in wow. that condensed space. And so it was all over. And if, if uh, any listeners, I encourage you guys to go uh, watch this, like the, you know, the virality, it's like a black light test. I don't know the exact name of it, but 
that that's the difference. And Disney World, I'm assuming what they're going to do is any condensed spaces like bathrooms at Disney World or any sort of eating places. I, I'm sure that they've made a significant investment to figure out how they're going to sanitize that because that's where you're going to catch it, right? You're going to catch it in these condensed places, touching things that other people are touching. Um, so I do think that any, any industry that's opening right now, we're learning from and we're taking notice. We're saying, okay, what are these guys doing? How are they able to operate? And yeah. are we a fit for that? And, and quite frankly, Florida, you know, I, I just, I ran into uh, someone the other day and they, they were saying they just got back from Florida and they, it seems like normal, right? They like, it seems like everything is normal in Florida. So getting back to how each venue is in different states and different cities with different restrictions, um, it, it's very complicated. It's going to be very interesting, but we're trying to learn from Disney. We're trying to learn from other entertainment uh, things, you know, whether it's sporting or, I don't know what they did with NASCAR. Maybe you guys know. I, I don't know if they said NASCAR is going to take place or not, but we're trying to learn from each of these industries. Well, two things about that. With open air, I just was heard from my friend from Miami, and they opened up this outdoor restaurant. It's a little restaurant, cafe, couldn't have been um, 10 tables. So there were two tables inside spread out, and I think he said there were four tables outside that were spread out. And by the time everybody got in there, they ordered, they took off their mask and everything was going fine. And then a pop-up thunderstorm and everybody ran inside body to body, no mask. And who, who could have, yeah, I mean, the procedures you need in play. Okay, if there's a thunderstorm, you got to do this. You have to spread right. out. I mean, like, you got to stand in the rain. Like, who knows, right? It, it is. Right. And NASCAR, what happened the other night is uh, Georgia, I think it was in Georgia, refused or Arkansas refused to police it and they showed pictures of it no mass body to body in the stands people you know just it, it's give a damn yeah it, it, you know as a culture we're obviously a very libertarian culture in terms of like you know right. we, we want our freedoms continue with that and exactly what you're saying so I catch it from NASCAR I can prove it now I sue the venue I mean, theoretically, um, I, they, I they didn't, yeah, if, if, nobody policing me to stay six feet apart, nothing. They said they refused. Yeah. And those are the questions that are, are going to come out. And unfortunately they're probably going to come out in litigation, right? Uh, over time, whether it's business interruption insurance or as some of these uh, states that are able to open up music venues that are legally able to open, we're going to start seeing things happen and, and it's going to be, it's a whole new world. You know, we're going to see if, you know, one, one attorney's opinion we talked to, he said, there's really no way to, to sue because no one's contact tracing in America. Everyone's got it. Everyone's just going everywhere, right? Everyone's traveling. There's no contact tracing happening. So therefore, it'd be next to impossible to prove that you got COVID at a particular place at this point in time. Um, so that was his opinion on opening up. And so therefore, if you can't prove it, uh, therefore, you, you're really not liable. So you know, now is that the smart thing to do? We should just not contact trace. Like, you know, yeah. is that is that the key? Because that's you know, it's it's interesting to see how different countries and different states are handling this. Um, you know, it's are we just creating more problems, right? I, I think our economy, you know, in general is just without proper systems in place to repress it, and without proper governmental systems. And, and one thing we're also seeing, and you know, this is this is more political, but it's like. You know, it's a money grab right now, right? Certain industries are getting money, certain industries are not. Certain people are getting money, certain people are not. Some people bank with Bank of America, some people bank with Chase. They they get money, some people don't. Like, it's 
it's a mess. It is a total mess. And so, you know, I've always taken more of an isolationist approach where it's like, all right, what can I do for my businesses to what's the best decisions for them? Is that opening right now at 25% capacity? Is it staying closed until we can be at hundred percent capacity and each individual venue I've got four, uh, have their own of those four, they have their own profiles as well. You know, I can open my piano bar probably in a couple of weeks. Now to my example though, before I'm going to have to totally redo how it operates. Am I giving the people who used to go there the same experience now that they used to have with a full place and people singing Bohemian Rhapsody to on the top of their lungs. Right? Like it, it I always say, you know, we, we, uh, we helped a lot of marriages and made a lot of babies at Shirley's, you know, that, that's the truth. It's like, that's, that was the environment. Now, if I, as a business owner, can't produce that same feeling again, am I, I'm doing myself a disservice opening, right? I'm killing my own brand. It doesn't make sense. So, and, and each individual business has to make that decision and it's, it's going to be hard. There's health risks, there's insurance risks, liability risks, there's just from a business brand risk. Like you're actually you can't create the same experience because it's a different world. You know, I don't know. I think that's a big point. When you think about the, we'll call it hundreds of thousands of dollars that you have put into these, you know, these four uh, venues and the brand that each individual venue has that you've built up over years. And now that's, it's millions, millions it's of dollars. It's in peril, you know. It's yeah. millions of dollars. I mean, millions. Yeah. And you know what? We're not even. And that's the interesting thing. We we've actually had some calls. Like, we're not we're not concerned about our investments. We you know we we're in this for the long haul. We're in this as legacy. I hope my son takes over the businesses someday if he wants. Right? Like, we're in this for the long haul. We're not concerned about hey, like we're losing the millions of dollars that we win. We just want to make sure we can open our doors again. That's all we care about. Right. Like, we just want to make sure our employees are okay, that they're fed, and their families are okay. And that we're able to open our doors again so that way we can pay the artists and we can pay the production people. We can generate revenue again. It's, um, yeah. Well, first of all, I think your son's probably going to want to be a college professor. So, um, <laughs> FYI, after he hears this, he's going to like us a lot more than you. But when we talk about uh, the money you guys want, um, I think you hit a lot about we needed to replace the revenue that we've lost. There's the other factor. I'm thinking um, a friend of ours, Ben Weinman, who was in Dillinger Escape Plan. And he posted on Instagram the other day a picture of the old CBGB's bathroom. And he made a joke. And it, it, was, it was a mess, you know. And he made a joke about this is where COVID started, not China, you know. <laughs> and um, it made me think of I was at the bitter end uh, in New York City not too long ago. And, you know, before, right before this happened, very similar, the, the floor was completely, you know, had three inches of water. It was, you know, one toilet. It was a mess. But I don't think you can have that in the new normal, you know? So you guys need money, not just to make up lost revenue. You guys need to do some um, renovations as well, plus pay for all of the Purell, all the masks, all the new safety protocols. And that's where it's going to, it's great. It's, it's uh, you know, short of the state of Illinois or the federal government dropping off masks at my door or retrofitting my venue to, to meet government standards. Like, it, the capitalization that, you know, we've already put into these things, then you have a loss of revenue, right? So assuming that, I, I don't even care about the loss of revenue as much as I care, just, I just want to make sure my bills are paid, right? I want to make sure that I don't lose more money than, you know, like, and that's what we're doing. We're just paying it with no revenue. We're just doing whatever we can. We're taking out whatever we can 
to make sure that we can open up again and make sure that we're not going to have problems with me again. Because to your point, you know, the music business is an extremely capital heavy business. You need capital to book artists. You need capital to uh, make improvements to the venues, to, to get equipment, to do all these different things. And it is, it's millions and millions of dollars uh, invested at the end of the day. Um, we, we just care right now about getting enough money to make sure we can open our doors again so we can hold on to our own capital right now so we can reopen. We can have money to retrofit our venues for going to be insane safety standards. You know, to your point, there's not going to be, you know, beer stained floors, you know, and mopping around and, and beer now and, you know, disgusting bathrooms with, you know, 50 people in line next to each other. Like, you know, I'm just thinking, you know, we do, we produce anything from, you know, small piano bar type experiences to, you know, 30,000 person festivals. And, you know, it is, each have their own thing and their own flavor, but it's, man, it's going to be, again, getting back to this full circle. And the more I talk about this, the more it, I come to the realization, like short of a vaccine. And, and, and you got to think too, like there needs to be systems in place because right now it's COVID, but you know, the same scientists that are now saying, guys, we've been telling you that these SARS type viruses are across the world and, and they could, and people in China have been wearing masks for four years five years, all the time, everywhere, right? Because they, they were experiencing this. That was the epicenter. Um, what we're going to find is that now they're warning us about these super bacterias. These, yeah. these super bacterias, you cannot kill. They are immune to amoxicillin. They're immune to anything we know about. And they're getting stronger and stronger and stronger. So my thought is, and really this is the, the beauty of, of Neva coming together. This is the beauty of every all these different industries coming together right now. And even though they're independent businesses, we have unity is that we're figuring, we need to figure out systems that aren't just going to solve this COVID issue. We need to figure out systems in our industry that are going to solve it. solve be prepared for future issues. So we're not all shut down, you know, again, because just think about this, let's say that we ramp back up, you know, and a second wave comes and we, we book our tours and we use all of our capital to book tours and put deposits down and do everything right. And, you know, the artists buy plane flights and the whole shebang. And guess what? Oh, sorry, guys, there's a spike. Shut down. Can you, I mean, can you imagine? And guess what now? Now there's no more PPP money. There's no more this or that. It's like, good luck, right? Good luck, guys. So I think from an industry, we need to figure out different standards so that no matter what we face from a viral or bacteria thing in the future, again, that's the new gun in the room we're able to, to combat it as best we can. And then as a government, we got to, the government's got to figure this out. Like they got to figure out how dependent on if it's a new virus, if it's a new bacteria, if it's whatever, they can hit pause essentially on the economy and nobody, and it's going to be a lot cheaper type thing. Right. Can you imagine if they just hit pause on the economy and, you know, instead of five, 10 billion trillion dollars going to this person, that person, whatever, you know, everyone just stay put. Right. Don't pay anything. Nobody pay anything. Just stay put. We're going to try to figure this out. We're going to send you some money so you can buy groceries and do whatever, but stay put. It probably would have cost $2 trillion and it would have been equal, right? Not this person paying this person, that person doing this. So there's going to have to be, I guess the point I'm bringing that up is just there's going to have to be on the government side and the industry side, innovation and, and different methods so that this doesn't happen again. That's the key right now, I think. The key is getting it right now so that no matter what we face in the future, 
we don't go through this again. I think that's the key. Well, I think with that, we need to end it because this has been great. I don't, I, I'd like to go through this interview again because you're a fun guy to talk to, but I'm sorry that we're talking about this and not how to promote a show. But maybe yeah, yeah. You guys are awesome. I, I really appreciate you having me. And it's, it's, I love, I love talking about it because yeah, I'm extremely passionate about it. I mean, I want to throw shows again. You know, I want to open up again. I want our American independent music culture to survive this. And it's going to take a lot of people. It's going to take listeners right now calling your congressman and just telling them a story about a venue that you went to when you were, you know, at any point and you met your girlfriend, you met whatever, you saw your first band. Like we need to tell our story to legislature so that way we can get what we need. So I really appreciate you guys having me on. No, thank you. And I would urge uh, people listening to this when they listen to this as a podcast to share it and use the hashtag Save Our Stages, which is connected to NEVA, which is the National Independent Venue Association, NEVA, which we've been talking about. And so we've also been talking with Chris Bauman of zenithmusicgroup.com. Is that or is That's that right. Zenith, zenithmusicgroup.com. Yeah. And you can see all the companies and all the venues and it's fun to click around. There's a lot yeah. there. It really is cool. There, there's a ton there. So I think we should probably have you on sometime in the future and actually talk about show promotion and, and things like that, because that's one thing we really didn't get into. And actually I had some tweets about that, but we didn't have enough time to get into it. But uh, well, I'd love to come back. So just you guys let me know when and we can do that. That'd be great. Perfect. All right. Stay so, safe. All right. Thank you, Chris. Bye guys. Thank Take you care. so much. Thank Take you. Care. Bye now. Bye. All right. So that was Chris Bauman. That was very good. Yeah. A lot, lot of good stuff to say. And there was some really, we've talked about where we're going with the live business, but we haven't talked about uh, to that extent. So I think, you know, we talked to Sound Talent Group. They've talked with uh, guys from Blue Raven, talked to Aaron Van Dyne, the business manager, and Paul Sinclair. This was a really different, uh, different conversation, especially with Neva involved and a guy who owns venues. And, you know, we're at a different stage of it than we were six weeks ago when we had our first interview about this. So I think that was really good. So doctor, why don't we end the show? Huh? Huh? Okay. All right. So at the end of every show, we stay don't dry. What do we say? I said, stay dry today. No, we should stay dry. It's a, it's a, it's a moist day in New Jersey okay. and everybody should stay cool because it's getting hot. Summertime's coming. And we want to thank you for listening. Thank you to the people who sent tweets out. Thanks to Sam and Randy and Jaime and Teresa and everybody else. Appreciate it. And at the end of every show, we don't say hello. Which no, is, we don't. No, no, we don't do that. So at the end of every show, we say... Adios! Adios!
bed again Wow, I didn't notice We were moving faster than just friends Losing control of the situation You're losing hope, I'm losing patience 